Hey friend, this is Ben Liston, Senior Pastor of the Stanton First Church of God. I want to personally thank you for joining us today here on our podcast. I hope the message is challenging, encouraging, and builds your faith. Now enjoy the message. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great of a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are once again excited. Our hearts are filled with joy. We are thankful. We are grateful to be here in this place today. Lord, now as we come to this part of the service, where we turn our hearts and minds toward your word. I ask that you would speak to us I pray that you would fill this place with your presence and that our hearts would be open to receive what you want us to know and hear through your word. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as your mouthpiece. Lord, would you preach through me today? And Lord, I pray that we would leave here saying it was good to be in the house of God, not because of any human, but because of what you have done in our hearts. Lord, would you speak to us now, and may the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, my God and my Redeemer, and it's in his name that I pray. And the church crowd said, Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. William Pope, who died in 1797 is said to have been the leader of a group of atheists who ridiculed everything religious. One of their common exercises was to kick the Bible around on the floor in order to tear it up. Friends who were present in his death, in the, in the room where he was dying, spoke of it as a scene of terror as he died crying out, these words. I have no contrition. I cannot repent. God will damn me. I know that I know the day of grace is past. You see one who is damned forever. Oh, eternity, eternity. Nothing for me but hell. Come eternal torments. I hate everything God has made. Only I have no hatred for the devil. I wish to be with him. I long to be in hell. Do you not see? Do you not see him? He is coming for me. The French philosopher and writer Voltaire was also an atheist and one of the most talented writers of his time. He used his pen to attempt to demolish Christianity. 
when speaking of Christ, here is what he wrote. Cursed the wretch. Voltaire once boasted, in 20 years Christianity will be no more. My single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. But shortly after his death, the very house in which he printed these vile and wicked words became the depot of the Geneva Bible Society. The nurse who attended Voltaire's or who attended to Voltaire in the midst of his death said this, for all the wealth in Europe, I would not see another atheist die. Voltaire's physician who was waiting up with him as his death came very close, said that Voltaire cried out most desperately, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. Then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. Oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ. These quotes represent the dying words of two men who did just what the author of Hebrews warns us about. They neglected or ignored or rejected God's great salvation. Too late these men came to understand the truth that there is, there is an eternity out there and that men are given just a short time to prepare for it. What a shame it would be to live a life separated from God and then die and go to this place called hell to live for eternity in the torments of that place. Yet, people can leave this world another way. No one has to, be, has to die lost and undone without God. I want you to consider some of the dying words of some of God's saints. A few hours before entering heaven, Dwight L. Moody caught a glimpse of the glory awaiting him. Awakening from a sleep, he said, Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. His son who was standing by his bedside said, No, no, father, you are dreaming. No, said Mr. Moody. I am not dreaming. I have been within the gates. I have seen the children's faces. A short time elapsed, and then following what seemed to the family to be the death struggle, he spoke again. This is my triumph. This my coronation day. It is glorious. Martin Luther, the great reformer. The very reason that you are not sitting in a Roman Catholic church today, learning from Latin, is because of Martin Luther. He said on his deathbed, Our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. 
the great Reformed preacher John Knox, that Scottish preacher, he said this as he lay dying, Live in Christ, live in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. John Calvin, laying dying, said, Thou, Lord, bruisest me, but I am abundantly satisfied since it is from Thy hand. John Wesley said this, The best of all is, God is with us. Farewell, farewell. Charles Wesley, as he lay dying, uttered these words, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied, satisfied. These were the testimonies from people who had not neglected the great salvation spoken of here in Hebrews chapter 2. You see, there really are just two kinds of people in the world. There are saved and there are lost. You are one or the other this morning. And the author of this passage makes it plain that there will be no escape for us if we ignore God's great plan of salvation. Now, while I, while I do not know everyone's heart here today, I'm not God. I know that if you are not saved, then you need to be saved. If you have ignored God and His call for you to embrace His salvation, then you must come to Him today and get those things settled with Him. This morning, I would like for us to focus in on this great salvation. And as God gives me the liberty, I want to speak for a while on this subject. Why salvation is so great? Why is salvation so great? Why does the writer say here, he just doesn't write talking about do, do not neglect salvation. He writes and says, do not neglect this great salvation. Salvation is great because of, first of all, I want you to notice its ability. God's plan of salvation can do what no other plan devised by any human or system can do. It can save a sinner. I want you to look, listen and look closely to one of, the, one of history's greatest sinners. The Apostle Paul. I want you to notice his testimony. His testimony found in 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse number 12. He writes, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me in to the ministry. Let me just stop here just a minute. Nobody volunteers for the ministry. You know why? Because you'd be flat crazy to do so. No, no. You don't volunteer for the ministry. God puts you in the ministry. You'll get that later. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a prosecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a testimony. What a testimony of the Apostle Paul. One who was a literally a killer of Christians. One who persecuted Christians. One who blasphemed Christ. Who mocked Christ. What a testimony that he declares that in the midst of his great sin and rejection of God, that Christ Jesus came in grace and mercy. And by the way, he just didn't, he just didn't speak to the Apostle Paul, but he literally showed up in his physical body while the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus. And he asked Paul that great question. Paul, why do you persecute me? And Paul's life was transformed in that moment. He believed on Jesus Christ for, the sal for salvation and for the remission of sin. And he was radically saved. The evidence is striking. God's plan of salvation is a life-changing plan. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The evidence is all around us. Everywhere we look, there are lives that have been changed by the power of God. Regardless of your testimony, regardless of where God found you when you were lost, the reality is we were all lost in sin and God saved us. That's the reality. You might have been on drugs. You might have been out sleeping around. You might have been a drunk. Or you just might have been a lost preacher's kid from Texas. Regardless, we were all in the same condition. Lost. In sin, but the but the ability of this salvation is to take any sinner and save them and change them. As we live our lives, we are surrounded by men and women, boys and girls, who have trusted God's plan of salvation and have found that it works just like God said it would. I've been around some rough characters, and maybe you have too. But there's the greatest joy in sharing the gospel is when you meet someone lost. And then you maybe re-encounter them later saved. And oh, what a change. What a change. 
I've seen many people, one that I think of, his name is Jeremiah. If you were to see Jeremiah, if I was to ask him to come to church, some of y'all wouldn't like him because he has tattoos. Y'all haven't got over it yet. But, uh, but if Jeremiah was to walk in here, in fact, Jeremiah even has a few eye uh, teardrops tattooed on his face. You know what that means? Anybody know what that means? That means you killed somebody. Jeremiah was in prison, uh, state prison, due to drug trafficking. And Jeremiah went to a church service one day there in that prison. And that was his moment. That was his time. And that old preacher began to preach the gospel. And Jeremiah got saved. From the looks of him on with all of his tattoos, he doesn't look much saved, if you know what I'm saying. But from his actions and from his heart, I'll guarantee you Jeremiah is saved. There's no other plan. There's no other way that anyone can be radically saved other than the plan that God set forth. All plans of the world are bloodless plans. Every plan devised by the world requires that a person work their way into the good graces of their God. However, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that works can never save. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. I feel like I quote it all the time. But I believe it's appropriate. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I want to tell you today, the ability of salvation, of God's salvation plan, it is the only way someone can be saved. I want to clarify this for you. I want to clarify this for you. There is no way you or I can do enough good things to be acceptable to God. It's impossible. Yet, we sure do try, don't we? We sure do try. The other problem with the world's plans... It also neglects the blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But the good news today is, is that Jesus Christ shed His blood. And that the shedding of His blood was absolutely necessary for the redemption of souls. Thank God anyone who comes to Jesus by faith can look forward to having their life forever changed by the power of an almighty God. Speaking of the change, I couldn't help but think of blind Bartimaeus. 
In Mark chapter 10, we see this account. After he met Jesus, Bartimaeus' life was forever changed. And by the way, it was not just changed for the better. It was, it was, just, it was changed from the inside out. This plan, God's plan of salvation, has the power to change even the blackest of hearts. It has the power that no other religious movement has. Salvation is great because it takes sinners and changes them into children of the living God. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. Here's what the Bible says. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. The good news today is, if you are lost, or if you were lost, you can become or are a child of God. Not because of what you did, but because of what He has done. Salvation is not just great because of its ability, but it is great because of its availability. One fact about God's plan of salvation that causes it to stand head and shoulders above every other religious system in the world is that it is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Now, let me be clear with you. To be included in the ranks of many of the world's religions, you have to meet a rigorous set of rules. Or in some cases, you have to be born into a particular uh, faith or family or ethnicity. But I'll tell you today, Christianity is vastly different. There are certain qualifications which, which must be met before you can come to Jesus. Now let me give them to you. You're going to find these very interesting. First of all, you have to be a sinner. And here's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> that word all, that word all that you see there. If you get out your, how many of y'all have a Greek English lexicon? Raise your hand. Okay, I didn't think so. I got one on my shelf down there. A Greek English lexicon. It's, if you look up that word all in Greek... Do you know what it means? All. Isn't that something? Do you know what the word all in English means? All. Boy, y'all good class today. Y'all learning real good. So you can go home to your family and tell them, huh, I was in church today and I learned Greek. Here's the point. All. All have sinned. All fall short. So the first qualification of being a candidate for Christianity is you have to be a sinner. Secondly, 
you must be willing to confess your sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, you have to be willing to acknowledge that you are a sinner. Number three, you must be willing to repent of your sin. Acts 17 verse 30, if you have been joining us on Wednesday nights, and if you haven't, I'm going to sidebar, I'm going to give a shameless plug right here. If you haven't, you should be. Say amen right there. But we have been studying through the book of Acts verse by verse. And, the, and Paul is preaching to a group of philosophers in Athens. And here's what he says in Acts 17 verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands... What's that next word? Say it again. All men everywhere to repent. So you must be willing to repent of your sin. You say, well, what does repent mean? Well, it means to turn around and go the other direction. It means to say, I want no more of this. It means to, it means to turn from sin to Christ. That's what repent means. Number four, you must be willing to receive Jesus in salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now the great striking point that comes in around point number two that typically trips people up. People can acknowledge what Jesus did for them at Calvary, but they seem to have the most trouble admitting they are sinners. And you even see this in young children. If you ever want to know if your child's ready to receive Christ, just ask them, have you ever done anything wrong? Have you ever, have you ever done anything bad? Have you ever sinned? And it's amazing to me, here's the answers you'll get. Well, first of all, some of the, many of them will say, no, no, nothing wrong. Well, then you know, eh, we're not quite ready. <laughs> or they might say, they don't, they don't want to fess up because they think if, as your mommy and daddy, you're going to whoop them if they fess up. And so sometimes they'll say, well, kind of. <laughs> This is, this is a hard thing for us humans to do. In a society where we try to give off that everything is just fine. In a society that tells us to celebrate our sin rather than have remorse over our sin, we don't like to admit that we're sinners. It, it really trips people up. I like to put it this way. You have to get somebody lost before you can get them saved. Our society has been so permeated with this whole idea that everybody is just good. We're just good. We're, we're just good. And to that, my question would be, if we're all just good, and if morality is, is subjective, 
as in, it's my morality, then why are the prisons full? And no one has ever been able to explain that to me or answer that question. If we're all so good, then why are the prisons full? If we're all so good, then why is death row full of condemned criminals? Well, here's the reality. All have sinned. And this hurdle must be crossed before the sinner can ever have the hope to be saved. However, when a person comes to the place where they are ready to accept these things, then they are eligible to be saved. And when they come to Him, they will find that Jesus Christ will save anybody, anywhere, anytime. Here's what He said. Those, those who are cast out, those who have been um, thrown away by society, those that are out in sin, if they will come to Me, I will in no way reject them. That's good news. Salvation is great because of its ability. It's great because of its availability. It's available to anybody, anywhere, anytime. I don't care if you're red, yellow, black, or white. I don't care if you've got, if you've got eight toes altogether and twelve fingers. It doesn't matter. Fat, skinny, tall, short. It is for everybody because everybody is a sinner. But also, the, our salvation is great because of its reliability. God's plan of salvation is 100% reliable. In other words, you can count on it doing that which the Lord has promised He will do. That is the only plan known to man that will never fail. The plan of salvation, God's plan, will never be revoked. A person can trust in any plan that they please. In fact, they can devote themselves to Mormonism, Islam, Hinduism, the Jehovah's Witness, Methodists, Catholics, Presbyterians, the Baptists, and even the Church of God. However, no one can ever have the hope of eternal life until they come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then and only then can a person have the hope of eternal salvation. Now some, don't, some folks don't like this idea. Here's what I hear often. Well, I mean, I'm sincere. I'm a sincere person. Here's what I hear. Here's what I hear a lot. I'm real. Well, whoop dee tee da do. Yeah, you're real. You're showing your rear end. Hello. That's just that's just true. I'm real. Okay. I'm sincere. I mean, when when I get there, God's gonna see that I've been real and that I've been sincere. You're right. He will see that you are a real, sincere sinner. 
Well, he'll see that I'm real and sincere and he will just accept me into heaven. My friends, this is nothing but utter nonsense. God knows no other way for the soul of man to be saved than through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And those who come to God by Jesus are saved by grace. Those who do not are lost and headed for an eternity in a place called hell. That's just the way that it is. 1 John 5 verse 12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. There are four things that God does not know. Number one, He does not know of a sin that He does not hate. He does not know of a sinner that He does not love. He does not know of a better plan of salvation. And He does not know of a better time for you to be saved than right now. While every other system is faulty and, land and leads to damnation, God's plan is foolproof and leads to life everlasting. Here's my question. What are you trusting today? What are you trusting? Are you trusting something that's reliable? God's plan of salvation? Are you trusting something made up by somebody sitting in their underwear in the basement of their parents' house with a, with a keyboard and internet connection? Salvation is great because of its ability. It's great because of its availability. It's great because of its reliability, but also it's great because of its desirability. God's plan of salvation is to be desired because it offers something that mankind it offers something to mankind that no other plan can. It offers the assurance of heaven. I am as I am as sure I am as sure I mean, I am as really sure as all 320 pounds standing in front of you. I am as sure as me standing right here that when I take my last breath here, I will take my first breath in the presence of God. There's no doubt in my mind. No doubt. Now I could give you a whole list of reasons why I believe that. There's all kinds of reasons I could give you. But let me just put it to you this way. I'm going off of everything that Jesus said. And here's what He said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not, I like this line right here. If it were not true, I would have not told you that. I like that. Somebody's being honest with us. 
Don't you like that? I go to prepare a place for you. I like that too. <laughs> First of all, he's going to tell us the truth. The truth is, the truth is, we don't have to be troubled. We can, be, we can know for sure that there is a place beyond this wicked world. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. I'm going off of what he said. Not what I did or can do. I'm going off of what he said. And the one who died for me, the one who died the sinless, perfect death on the cross, that man said, I could go to heaven. That's what I'm going off of. I mean, every other plan devised by man offers the promise of, of some otherworldly type of adventure. For instance, the Hindus. They are looking for utopia. The Muslims. They are looking for nirvana. Mormons. Long for a world to populate. Jehovah's Witness. Long for heaven on this earth. New Age spirituality is looking for a better mindset. Progressive Christianity is looking to remove the reality and the penalty of sin. All of these hopes and dreams will ultimately fail. I am go I desire salvation. The world desires salvation because salvation is the only way to guarantee you that you will go to heaven. It's the only thing that will guarantee it. I mean, if salvation did nothing more than rescue the soul from hell and cleanse away men's sin, it would be desirable. But when you consider that heaven is also a reality for every believer in Jesus Christ, well, that just makes it even more desirable. All the blessings of salvation here, rescue from hell later in heaven to look forward to. Now that is an offer that no person in their right mind would ever pass up. But I'll let you in on a little secret. If you want to be saved, you can be. You see, what God has done for others, He will gladly do for you. If you will come to Him by faith. Now, I began this message by contrasting the deathbed experiences of several sinners with that of several saints. I got a question for you. Have you ever considered what it will be like for you when you come to the end of your life?
Will you have the confidence to leave this world with praise on your lips and the full assurance in your heart that you are saved by the grace of God? Or will you come to that day knowing that in your heart that you wasted every opportunity and are now forever lost and separated from Almighty God? My friend, it does not have to end this way. God's great plan of salvation is available to you right now. If you will come to Jesus and confess yourself a sinner and receive Him as your Savior, then you can leave this place totally forgiven and eternally saved then you too will know that this great, what this great salvation is all about. I'll guarantee you, from the one who has had experience in this very area, it is easier to come to Jesus and be saved than it is to walk out on Him and say no to God. But it's decision time for you. The Bible records for us in Luke chapter 16 about the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, the Bible says the rich man dies and goes to hell. The Bible also says that he lifted up his eyes and as Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, he lifts up his eyes and he cries out to Abraham. He asks Abraham to do two things for him. He says, one, would you dip your finger in water and let a drop of water fall on my tongue to cool my tongue? That was the first request. But then he had a second request. Listen to this now. He said, will you send somebody to go tell my brothers that this is real so that they might believe. I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. Give me some grace. Will you send my, someone to my brothers to preach the gospel to them so that they will believe? Here's what this tells us, ladies and gentlemen. It is clear in that story in Luke chapter 16 that the rich man was very much aware while he was in hell, he was very much aware of every time he was presented the gospel. Why do we know that? Because he begged Abraham to tell somebody to go preach the gospel to his brothers. It's clear that he had been told about this gospel before. Here's the point, my friends. Should you leave here today with rejecting this great gospel? Should you leave here today and slip into eternity? My friend, from now till the end of this time and for all of eternity, you will be tormented in hell in your mind 
of this very moment that you rejected the gospel. This very moment will replay in your mind over and over and over and over and over and over again. Don't neglect the gospel today. Don't neglect this great salvation. Hey friend, thanks again for listening. I hope this message was a blessing to you. For more information about our church, go to our website at www.stantonfcog.com. You can also join us on Facebook at Stanton First Church of God. If this message helped you in any way, hit the share button below. Thanks again for listening, and always remember, God loves you, and so do I.